Welcome to the Special Bulletin Review, Pathway to Foggy Compliance, sponsored by Kodak Alaris. Here's today's moderator, Jory Heckman. My guests today are Lisa Hare-Lampus, Director of Management Policy and Outreach at the National Archives and Records Administration, and Michael Horsley, Electronic Records Management and Policy Analyst. A lot to get into this conversation here, but I think a natural entry point is just kind of the value proposition how agencies can benefit from making records management and digitization a priority. What do they get out of it in the end here? So I would say what we are looking for is to make the federal government more effective and more efficient. It's really that simple. NARA and OMB have worked together issuing a series of joint memos over time. The vision of all those memos is how do you make the federal government fully digital so that you can gain access move at the speed of business so that you can take the information you have, share it, use it, reuse it. There's a lot of perspective and and many different laws and policies about that. But for me, it's how do we be more effective and more efficient? And you do that by being fully digital. And I think that if you were to look in the federal government today, you're not going to find a typewriter in anybody's office, right? Nobody's actually typing records out. We're using computers. We've been doing it for years. So why do we still have this paper? that has to be digitized. Where did that come from? And I just think we're in the middle of the great transition from where we were in the past to actually having paper records, to managing paper records, to printing things because we just didn't trust the storage and the saving to where we are now, which is there is a feeling of trust and we know we can do it. We can use cloud storage. We've got the space. We've got the tools. How do we get to where we're actually fully digital? So that's my value. I didn't say it was cheaper, mind you. You didn't hear me say it was going to be cheaper, but you heard me say it was better and more efficient, more effective. Michael, anything to add on for that one? Sure. Um, I think another part of the value is that um, never before have people who rely upon the records at the National Archives, you know, have been able to access our holdings in such a manner. We have an incredible catalog. You know, it's not easy, you know, for people to do research. They have to come to Washington, D.C. They have to, you know, get a hotel room, things like that. So this is an ability to... uh, actually span all of our regional archives together. You don't have to go physically back and forth. The other type of value that it's more on my specialty area is that the imaging science and the technology has gotten up to a point where the standards that we're probably going to talk about, if done properly, will, to a relative degree, we're able to capture what the human eye can see. So we were able to kind of replicate the experience. I always use the rule of thumbs that, you know, the experience digitally should be the same as you sitting down at a reference desk looking at the object in front of you. Of course, records digitization is not just a nice to have, it's a need to have for agencies, specifically under M1921, I believe, in terms of uh, meeting those goals. Just tell me real quick for my audience, just so they better understand what's under M1921 and what agencies have to do to meet the terms of the memo. So yeah, M1921 is the shorthand, the the number that was given to the joint OMB-NARA memo called Transition to Electronic Records. I would like to frame that first that to look at what the memo says. Before we talk about numbers or dates, for me, one of the important parts of the memo is that it literally says the vision is to manage all federal records electronically to the greatest extent possible. And then there's a corollary to uh, that memo that says, so you're, you're creating and managing records electronically. Well, how do you manage records that have already been created on our paper? And the memo says you either manage them electronically or you have an option to send them to the Federal Records Center program for storage 
and you don't have to digitize them. The idea being that these are inactive long-term records and you're just going to let them stay in a place until they meet their retention period. Or you're going to move them to commercial record center storage. So what I appreciate about that particular memo was that it was a continuation of target dates, right? We started in 2016 saying, please, by 2016, federal government, stop managing email and paper. And then we had a 2019 goal that said, okay, if you've got something permanent that's supposed to come to the National Archives and it is already electronic, do not print it to send it to us. Keep it in its format that it's always been in and send it to us electronically by 2019. So the goal that was in that directive was, again, moving these targets, you know, keep on stretching, keep on reaching for a digital government. The goal now says by December 31st of this year, 2022, do no longer keep your paper records in agency record storage centers, move them to commercial or send them to the record center or to the greatest extent possible, turn them digital. So the idea is whether it's coming to the National Archives as a permanent record or it's a temporary record being used, uh, created, used, and maintained today, it should be managed electronically. We issued that memo in uh, 2019, gave ourselves three years to meet that next goal, and that is where we are. We are seven months away from that target date, and there has been discussion, Jory, of whether or not the target date needs to be moved in recognition that the pandemic has impacted physical records management to a large degree. If the National Archives, we had restrictions on federal record center uh, use, we just didn't have as many people sitting elbow to elbow pulling records as we did uh, prior to the pandemic. And I can share that, yes, the National Archives and OMB are in discussions to see whether or not it's appropriate to move some of those dates related to the physical management of records. The other thing that impacts M1921 has been the pandemic and how that is accelerated the move to digital records and electronic record keeping, that it sort of was a driver far better than policy, but the consequence of, of the government's posture is that we do see electronic records management happening more and more. So then now we are playing catch up. The government's posture is changing. We see agencies returning to offices. We're able to do more physical records management. So we want to be there right now at that and capture that momentum, push records that are currently in analog format to digital format so that what's being created and managed is all can be done in the same place effectively and efficiently. What M1921 does is it, it you know, establishes the mandate for NARA to create digitization standards that are then in the regulations. And that's, a, I think, a key distinction that probably your audience would be, benefit from is our technical standards are based on FAGI. And FAGI is a consortium of federal agencies. It's an ad hoc group, and it establishes best practices. The standards are based off of International Standards Organization parameters and, and standards. I, it's called ISO. Then we're mandated for the right to regulation. So agencies really need to follow what's in the regulations and use FAGI as a reference tool to inform a larger part of the process. But there are specific areas, and we don't really have to get into all the details, but there are specific areas that are in FAGI because it's best practices that don't actually line up with what the archives is responsible for promulgating. So I would say follow the standards first and then use the FAGI guidelines as a well-established framework for performing digitization. The last part of what, like in terms of, I think the value of what M19 does, we have taken the initiative to say, 
look, we're adopting, endorsing, and promulgating these standards that are based on well-known image science. And we're saying it's good enough for electronic records to serve the evidentiary and legal aspect. And we have vetted this through many different avenues. The technical standards keep standing up. Maybe not broadly implemented, but well implemented where it has been. It started out in the imaging science used in museums. And what NARA has done is we've kind of not watered it down, but we've tried to make it more accessible to a wide range of imaging projects so that it's not just left in the realm of high-end museum, you know, scanning a Rembrandt painting. We use the same principles. That's a great overview of FAGI and everything that goes into it. To drill down into that a little bit more, these are some pretty high standards, like you mentioned, Michael. What are some general principles that agencies should keep in mind when it comes to following the FAGI guidelines? I've been working with my colleague, Kevin Divorcey, working on, on these standards, and we both realized that because the image standards are actually very well known, maybe to a small group of specialists, but they're very well known, that has not been what raised up in this process. It, it's the critical nature of proper records management. And we have gone bending over backwards, trying to define and articulate what intellectual and physical control looks like. We feel that one of the strongest things that are at risk in an imaging project is that not all of the records will be discovered, found, and, and digitized. However, we have a lot of framework built in there so that we have a quality management section that really meticulously walks through the different steps for checking. But I would say that, you know, I'm less concerned about meeting the image quality, what the standards have been, and by and large, my interactions with federal agencies, vendors, and manufacturers is that they're very much relieved that there's a standard to follow rather than people pulling things out of the air and then throwing them out there and then not really meeting any goals. Then the whole purpose and the origin of FADGI started at the National Archives and then was taken over working with the Library of Congress was to create that standardized language so everybody was on the same page. And what I've been finding, it's kind of a build it and they will come, but you know, we're getting a lot of feedback from manufacturers saying, oh, that's what you guys wanted. Okay, sure, we'll look into it. And now we're finding a large amount of uh, manufacturers meeting these standards. Um, but what ultimately at the bottom of it is what FADGI does is it provides a trust but verify. So we're not relying on manufacturers' claims. We're actually telling them what we want you to build. And then this is a process of verifying and validating that it does perform to our expectations. From my perspective, writing policy for the federal government is we don't want to start from scratch. We don't write policy to come up with something new and different. Our policy is to help move the federal government in a specific direction. So when we looked at the wide variety of digital standards out there, FADGI seemed to be the one that would closest fit NARA's needs. FADGI does more than NARA needs. So that's why we're writing our standards to pull out the pieces that will apply to agencies. And we're doing it in pieces. So the first regulation that we had a draft that we put out for public comment focused on paper and photographic prints. And so we think that will cover, you know, 80 to 90% of what's being covered with our first regulation. We know we'll have to also follow up with digital standards that cover other types of analog records. We're moving in steps, we're moving in paths. And for me, the, I like how it was phrased, um, way Michael said it and the way you asked your question, Jory, what is this going to give us? The replicate the experience. We want you to be able to see exactly what that record looked like down to stamps that are on the document. I might have used a faint pen. You're like, oh, I didn't quite catch it right, but you can see it. I was like, we want to capture how it looked, how it's represented. The only thing we ain't capturing is how does the document smell? And for those of you who worked in an archives, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to lose that, but you shouldn't lose any of that content and context. 
We know that we're NARA's all, through M1921 and through our goals, it is our plan to only bring that electronic version into the National Archives. The original source record will have a disposition authority applied to it and it will be disposed of. So only having that digitized record as part of the archives, that's what these standards are trying to give us, that authentic, reliable record that comes to us that we can serve to the public. And actually, um, to tie in your question and one of Lisa's responses is that we're very aware of the mandate to dispose of the originals. That is why, at first look, it seems very high standard. And we have a very robust uh, locked-in validation phase into the standards. So by the time we get to the end of a project, there shouldn't be any mysteries and, and questions about how things were done. That being said, one of the greatest challenges we've had, and one of the things I would like to articulate to your audience, particularly to federal agencies, is that although there's some technical language in there, and it may seem hard to understand at first, we've created something at, like there's several levels of digital imaging to perform. We think the 80-20 rule applies that most records will be what we call modern records. And believe me, internally, we've had a lot of discussions. Well, what do you mean by modern? Is it before 1950? Well, laser printing came in in like 1980. Well, you know, so the conservators aren't happy, the historians, you know, everybody's got a kind of an angle. But what we realize is that NARA's worked with FADGI to create kind of like an entry-level mass digitization um, standard called modern textual documents. And that's through some interaction and feedback we got from imaging scientists that said, look, for the large part of what FADGI measures, there's a lot of records like, a, you know, imagine your laser printed paper that's completely white background and black text. There's not a lot of subtle color gradations in there. So a lot of devices were failing because they weren't meeting an, like a standard that was fairly high. And so we articulated a couple ramps to follow. And so one of them is modern textual, but then the standards really are the minimum requirements. There's the maximum requirements are what is required by analyzing the content of the document itself. And that is where hopefully we will, NARA will also be able to assist agencies in how does that process work and what kind of expertise do you need to, to do that? A lot to go into there, but the takeaway really seems to be making sure that the standard meets the document, that some are a little more sophisticated than others, you know, the the stamps, the embossing, you know, you right. want to make sure you want to capture that. But for your more, you know, quotidian documents, there might not be as many bells and whistles. What we're creating is actually is, is essentially could be thought of as a total quality management approach. So it's really about minimizing the outliers and the errors that happen in the process so that the something that's a very rare historical document will actually be rare and we'll you'll able to um, apply different principles to it. We shouldn't let the perfection, you know, kind of stop us from doing the good, so to speak. I'd like to add, Jory, that when we look at our standards, when Mike says total quality management, we recognize that there is a records management piece, an intellectual control piece. And we at the National Archives, when we're serving these records to the public, and they say, for example, oh, I see you had this series that was, you know, scheduled from 2000 to 2020, but you didn't have any records in 2019. Why is that? We don't want people to say, oh, it was a scanning problem and they, they just didn't scan 2019. We want to be able to say, well, actually there was a pandemic and things happened and, you know, we didn't get records for that year. So a gap in a series is not the result of poor digitization or poor testing or poor quality. It's a reflection of the intellectual control over that. So we look at our standards as having high technical standards that you can trust that what we received is what we scanned. But we also look at, as you can trust, we are asking for a lot of information, a lot of content control so that we know what we're scanning 
And that too helps you know that you've got the right standards. You need to know, are there any gaps in the records? What type of records I might be asking for a lot of project management to happen upfront by the agencies before vendors or manufacturers say, okay, now that you know what you've got, we've used the right targets. We're using the right protocols. We've got the strategy. We can give you the guarantees you're looking for at the end of the technical process, the validation and verification that, yep, we scanned what you gave us. This is good. This is archival worthy. Okay, great. And we've spoken a lot about image quality, which is, I think, the core of this conversation. But to zoom out here a little bit, I think Faji also talks a little bit about a step just before that, which is the image capture. What are some of those best practices of making sure that agencies are able to do just that? I think it'd be very helpful for, um, again, our regulation is the mandate to follow. And we have, I feel, enough in there to um, answer the question that you have. However, strongly recommend that FADGI is consulted, just bearing in mind that not everything it talks about is applicable to federal agencies. But on, on that note, what FADGI is, the ISO standard establishes the benchmarks and the aim points and the tolerances to meet. What FADGI does is introduce a methodology about how to measure and analyze those aim points. And that's kind of typical in in the standards world is that they don't really tell you how to do it. And I, I'm sure this is going to be the biggest question. And I'm expecting that we're going to be walking with everybody all through this long path. Our standards are based on, I think a good precedent is what was in the microfilm standards and photographic archival standards. And so the concepts have just been translated into the more modern electronic process. And I'm working with FADGI. We'll be working on some uh, training and development tools. We have a training office as well. I'm working with them. But the main thing is just to understand one phrase is that there's an image performance taxonomy, which is a set of known language. And that's one of the main things that the ISO has done. There's a scientist, Don Williams, who's really worked hard making people image literate or let's say image fluent. And that is the case. It, in my experience, I have a photographic background and a history degree. So I'm kind of primed for this type of approach. What I find it's, it's really necessary and it's needed is for archivists and records managers and people to start becoming image literate if this is their responsibility. Mike, would you also talk a little bit about the star rating? Because I hear a lot of people talking about FADGI three star. Actually, this is a major point. There's a big misconception that, oh, I want to only do things for information purposes. I'll, I'll do, I'll, we're FADGI one star. What the star system is, is there are, as you need more and more pre precision and accuracy, the tolerances get narrow and narrow and narrow for what's within or without. So for example, if you're scanning a modern document and the red channel is off by 3%, not a big deal. And so there's a lot of stuff going on under the hood, but the star level is not something you aspire to. It's something you achieve and you achieve it by hopefully purchasing a properly constructed piece of equipment. And I'm again, really happy to see that there's a lot of manufacturers, you know, they were just like, oh, that's what you want. We'll, we'll see if we can build one. And so they are. And what essentially the process is, though, you scan a reference target that has a bunch of different elements like color patches and grayscales and resolution targets. And uh, another myth I'd like to dispel is the DPI myth. So DPI is, is commonly misused to indicate quality. It does not. It just it's really the proper name is samples per inch. And that is just a ratio of how many fine points your scanner is doing. Something could be 600 DPI and out of focus. So that's why that number right there is not, should not be considered the sole method. It's how well the scanner performs capturing color, capturing tone, which is the grayscale. If you scanned a photograph and the sky was pink, you know that's wrong. 
But what the uh, FADGI does is it tells you exactly where and why you're wrong. And it could be something simple like, oops, had the auto something on, you know, had auto correction on, you just turn that off. Imaging mistake 101 is having everything on auto exposure. So there are, even on our home desktop scanner, there is sometimes a professional mode, or um, I would recommend just to the general audience that if you care about quality, turn off a lot of auto stuff and then put it on a photography mode, because what it's doing is that the scanner is able then to analyze the whole range of densities and light to dark and the color, whereas they assume if you're scanning a document that you just are pumping it out for like, you know, your bank check. And so that's the big worldview that's changing with FADGI is that we're not talking about now scanning mass digitization and bitonal. We're talking about capturing the actual original historical document. So we're trying to balance like two worlds. When we looked at the FADGI standards, we thought that achieving the three-star is the quality that NARA, we discussed this quite a bit, like how far is too far? We don't want to make a standard so high that it's not achievable, but it can't be so low that we don't get the quality. The three-star level rating is where you're hearing people talk about why is NARA saying FADGI three-star? Well, that's the one we want to achieve. Agencies can go to four or five depending on what they've got, but for most records, for the mass digitization, for modern paper, three-star is sufficient. And when we finally produce our regulations for final version for agencies to follow, they'll be able to understand how that works and what rating they're trying to achieve. That's our goal. Also, something like FADGI three-star, we're not going back. So we won't have access to these records. So to a certain extent, I can't predict if it's going to be future-proof, but FADGI three-star allows you greater ability to employ in the future AI tools, sophisticated OCR. We're not demanding OCR, but we found that a FADGI three-star and above opens up a whole new world of being able to apply things because the initial quality is good enough, and then you can expand off of that. To change gears here a little bit, you know, obviously with these very exacting standards, these are going to produce images that are large images in terms of file size. What are some best practices or some things that agencies should keep in mind when it comes to making sure that these electronic records are stored in a way that is most effective? I'd like to first say what to avoid. We, in our regulations and standards from a total quality management, say it, this, you follow this process and you get an output. If you were to take those records and put them on a drive or a media, imagine, and I know this has happened, I've got all my records on a thumb drive now. I've met NARA's goals. No, you haven't, because there still is a piece about managing these digital images throughout their life cycle, including to some point being transferred to NARA or retained in a system for use and reuse and disposal. So you have to put those images into a record-keeping system. So that is where I think you will find, that is our goal and our, our, our recommendations. Now that you've done the digitization, you don't get to say, whew, I did it. I met the goal and I'm finished. You have to be able to retrieve and access that information over time as needed. So you're going to need those systems in place that can manage them. And we are very open in defining what is a record keeping system. It may be that you're putting them back in your Teams drive, your OneDrive, your SharePoint, but you've got the arrangement. So I know this is where I had the born electronic. Now I have the digitized versions and they're all in this collection. I know I actually only needed these records for seven years. And I know that I've got the built-in controls to find it. Or you might say, I need to then get different software to manage the output. So that is important. I think the answer to your question is to is not just where to store it, but what tools am I using? And that's also part of your project planning in the beginning. What's your output going to go and how are you going to be able to maintain that over time? Make sure those files aren't corrupted, 
aren't lost? How are they going to get migrated? I'd like to thank today's guests, Lisa Herlampus, Director of Management Policy and Outreach at the National Archives and Records Administration, and Michael Horsley, Electronic Records Management and Policy Analyst. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Kodak Alaris. Thank you for listening to the special bulletin review, Pathway to Foggy Compliance, sponsored by Kodak Alaris on Federal News Network.